Um, I want to go to Acts chapter 8 today, and I want to kind of track the life of Philip the Apostle, or excuse me, Philip the Evangelist. There was one of the apostles named Philip, it's not the same guy, this uh, started out as one of the deacons, and later does a, a number of evangelistic things. So the New Testament church grew rapidly, and... At one point, there's some griping going on that some of the gals aren't getting fed quite like the other gals are in regard to the widows. And so the apostles are going, eh, we don't want this to consume all our time. And so they say, pick out seven guys that are full of the Holy Spirit and put them over this area. Now, there are times we get a hard time getting enough workers for children's church, I don't think handing out food would have been all that much more glamorous, okay? But that's, this is the first introduction to Philip and, and Stephen and the others, and uh, they want guys that are on track, but then they have this noble thing of passing out food. So that is the setup for this. And then that was in the sixth chapter. In the seventh, uh, end of the sixth chapter and seventh chapter, you have the, the martyrdom of Stephen, where uh, he gets hauled out and stoned. And in the eighth chapter, as you enter that, it says um, this persecution scattered the church. And uh, he heads off into Samaria. Now, I just want to make a note that... Uh, if your experience is such that it doesn't remain strong when everything temporal around you is shaken, then you're not in the same level of this guy, that's for sure. But it might be something to aim at. It's amazing how many can leave home, go to school, have their faith challenged, and then the wheels fall off, right? Or we've had a number who've left from here going out to different areas and I can't find a church like this church or I can't, you know, and I'm going, well, that's, that's difficult and that's sad, but there's more to life than the group of people you left. In the case of Philip, he's fleeing town because people are ready to kill him. But he lands in Samaria and what's he do? He starts proclaiming Christ. So there's something powerful that's transformed his life, enough so that he's not overwhelmed by the circumstances. And that's something to just hang on to and say, well, maybe the measure of my faith is being able to weather such things. Maybe what happens when I, you know, I'm whimpering over what's going on is that what's being exposed is that my faith isn't all that I thought it was. And maybe I need to dig in and allow God to do a transforming work that takes me further than what I am right now. I've always, in recent years, I've come to the conclusion that God is never surprised by my sin like I am. Uh, you know, I, I, and how could I have done that? How did I fall into this again? What was going on? What was I thinking? And really what's all that's happening is I'm being exposed for who I am, but do you think God's fooled by such a thing? 
I didn't see that coming either. No. He knows exactly what's transpiring. But he's opened the door for us to transform through those experiences. He allows us to see ourselves for who we are so that we can actually look and say, I need some help here and I need you to work a change in my heart. So Philip apparently is quite strong when he comes out of this situation. And he says that uh, those who were scattered went preaching the word. (laughs) Powerful, huh? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Here's where it gets a little interesting. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So he's driving out unclean spirits. He's seeing people healed. And uh, it says, there was much joy in the city. You know, they're, they're recognizing something powerful is taking place. I guess that triggers something in me as well. Not only do I want to be able to weather circumstances, but just the fact that the power of God was working through his life in such a way that those around him were being influenced and transformed. There's something in me that says, I want to see this as well. And it, in a sense, promotes a hunger. And then let's... Let's take this to another level. Remember when Jesus sent out the 12 apostles in in Matthew chapter 10, and he tells them, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans, but I want you to go to the lost house of Israel. Now the gospel is beginning to go outward. And so now they're heading into Samaria, and, and the message is going out. And there's transformation taking place. And one of the men that they encounter is a man named Simon, who... Uh, was called himself the one who has the power of the great God, who he's a magician, and he apparently he made things happen, and people were impressed with him. His identity is all tied into this power, so to speak. But he recognizes that Philip's got something that he doesn't. And he even comes to him and, and recognizes the need to change. So it says, when they believed Philip... As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip presents the gospel to the Samaritans, but in the the course of things, he starts baptizing people. So what's he doing? He's saying the Samaritans have a part of this as well as the Jews. They're making a conscious decision that says, these people are in the door as well. I'll also make mention that he baptizes both men and women. I'm, uh, hopefully this picture you'll be able to see a little bit, but I grabbed something off the internet regarding Herod's temple, of the, uh, the, the Jewish temple that they had. There were different courtyards. If you were a Gentile, you got into the first courtyard, but you didn't get any further. This was enforced enough that remember Paul in Acts 21 when he almost got killed because people thought that he was bringing Greeks into the temple? They thought he was taking them past that first courtyard. They thought that he was was profaning the temple, that he was bringing them into the holy place. They almost killed him over it. 
So if you were a Gentile, you got into the outer court. And then if you were a woman, you got into the next court, but you didn't get into any further. And then if you were an Israelite man, you got in one step further, but, no, but not all the way. Then if you were a priest, you got into another little area. And finally, if you were the selected priest once a year, you got into the Holy of Holies. So it's like limited access and layers of access. These walls are beginning to break down. So when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and quotes Joel and says, you know, my spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. Your young men will prophesy, your young men and women. And, and he draws both into it. The Old Testament has hints of what's coming, but it is now being played out. And so when, when Philip goes into Samaria and he's baptizing Samaritans, men and women, he is opening the door in a way in regard to Christianity that Judaism never had. Things are beginning to change. Well, this gets the attention of Jerusalem, and they send Peter and John down to check it out. And there's also an idea that says they hadn't received, uh, how's the wording go? The Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them yet. So they're baptized, and they're saying they haven't had the same experience in the Holy Spirit that we had but Peter and John are sent down, and then it, it transpires as, as they lay hands on them. Now, for me, I look at it and say, salvation to me is the beginning of the birth of the Spirit. But I believe there are experiences in the Holy Spirit as well, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit or infillings. I, I don't really care what you call it. I just believe that there's opportunity to have full-blown experiences in the Lord. So I don't wrestle with this passage quite like others do, where they're trying to say, well, this is an oddity. You know, it comes later. And, and, but then there is a valid point out of that group that comes out and saying, it was very essential that this group of Samaritans be tied to the early Christians because in Samaria, they'd had, they had been rejected from temple worship. So they went and worshiped on Mount Gerizim. So there were two separate worship places, so to speak. These two people groups weren't interacting, and suddenly now you have the Christian church branching out, and now it's being said, this is one group. This isn't the Jewish Christianity and the Samaritan Christianity, but rather it's pulling it together. So it's a, a very important moment that's transpiring here. So that being said, he's baptizing men and women, he's baptizing Samaritans, the apostles come down, the Holy Spirit comes into this group or falls upon them. And so there's a recognition, God has done something truly marvelous here. And what's transpiring in this age is different than what we've known. Hints of it in Scripture, but powerful transformation taking place. Now, you would think for Philip, this is a pretty good gig, Right? You know, go into a city, see it transform, great joy in the city. Might as well hang out here for a while. It's not how it worked. Holy Spirit says to him, I want you to head down south of Jerusalem. In other words, I want you to go into the desert. 
go, go back through, just head out to the desert. Doesn't tell him, doesn't appear that he tells him anything else. But he goes. He's obedient to the voice of God, and, and he responds, and he heads out. And he meets a, a, sees a guy traveling in his chariot, it's the Ethiopian eunuch, who is over Queen Candace's treasury. So he's a high official, and he's reading out of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit tells him, go over by the chariot there. <laughs> Get in the guy's space, so to speak. And just listen to what's going on. And so he goes over, and, he's, and uh, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Do you, do you, do you understand this? And, and the long story short, no. But the, the guy invites him up into the chariot to sit with him. And he says, he was reading a passage like a sheep that was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so it opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life was taken from this earth? So Isaiah 53, if you start in the, in the 52nd chapter and go on through the 53rd chapter, you have a very clear illustration of what the suffering Savior would be. Now, those terms don't normally go together, right? Suffering and Savior. You don't look for your heroes as, as ones who are put to death by others. You don't look for them as ones who are despised by people. It, it just doesn't work that way. But Isaiah was giving this prophecy and saying, this is exactly what's going to take place. I was looking at this this week, and I'm going, when this eunuch is reading this man in Scripture, who can speak of his descendants? And I'm going, there was an identification moment. This is also a guy who had just been in Jerusalem who had never gotten past the Gentile court. So even though he has a copy of the Scripture, he's reading it, he's into it, he never even had access into the, the inner sanctums. But he was worshiping, and he's on his way home, and he's reading about being rejected and despised. He's reading about not having any descendants. And he asks, you know, is this about the writer, or is this about someone else? But there's this point of identification. I'm going, how good is God to bring this passage to this man at that point in time and allow someone to come along and say, this is about Jesus, and, a, and open it up for him. Just a powerful thing. So they have this question and answer time, and they get it taken care of. And then the eunuch says, well, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip's already brought in the, the Samaritans. He's good with men and women. Now he's looking at the eunuch, a foreigner, who would not have been embraced. He's going, why not? The door is opening up. 
Isaiah 56. This is a continuation from that 52nd and the 53rd chapter, you know, 56, further down the road, right? Same book. There was a prophecy that came out and said, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. These I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Lord, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to himself besides those already gathered. So this powerful prophecy was laid in place saying, there is coming a day when everyone is going to have access. There are numerous ways that we at times will look at ourselves and say, I'm disqualified, or I, why would God want to invest himself in my life? Why would he open the door for me? You know, when we understand our own sin, it's even appropriately so. How do we get into the Holy of Holies? I mean, that was the whole thing with the temple. They're going... Our God is so holy that only this one person a year gets inside, gets that close. And, you know, what, what we are reading in these passages is that through the sacrifice of Christ, the door is opened for everyone. So that means you and I have opportunity to enter. That means that no matter what our heritage is, that no no matter what our past is, no matter our station or situation in life, if there's a heart that desires him, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The door's open. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they went down to the water, and he baptized them. You're right. <laughs> Welcome to the family. Now the story goes on, and, and uh, the guy leaves with great joy. It's also said that Philip is transported to another location. Figure that one out. <laughs> it's beyond explanation, right? But he goes through the towns proclaiming Christ. Um, I did forget to mention that Peter and John, after seeing what happened in Samaria, went through other Samaritan towns proclaiming Christ as well. So they, I mean, they had... They saw, this is, this is God. We can't deny it. And Philip does the same thing. Later on, the, old, the reference to him out of Acts 21 is that Paul stops at his house and stays there, and Philip has four unmarried daughters that are all prophecy, are prophesying. So there's a continuation of the gifts to all people. Pretty incredible. So let's, let's go back and, and just recap. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, Jesus understands that situation. He, just, he understands rejection. He understands being despised by others. And yet, 
he conquered things so that we could have entry and access. So his death and resurrection opens the door to new life for us. His death and resurrection means that no matter whether we've been rejected or despised by others, it has no bearing on whether Christ is willing to embrace us. This gives real credence to these next verses. First Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what he's saying is, you didn't have access. <laughs> you didn't get all the way into the Holy of Holies. You didn't have full access to God. Through Christ, you now have that. Hebrews, listen to this. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. This curtain is significant because entry into the Holy of Holies had a huge curtain, 12 feet high, 4 inches thick, that was torn when Jesus was put to death from top to bottom. It was a supernatural thing. But it was a, a symbolic gesture by the holy saying, I'm getting out. I am making myself available to all. And so in this passage, they're recognizing, saying, you have access through the curtain. It's no longer a barrier for you. So we look at that and we say, okay, Lord, if, if you're not going to reject me, then I certainly want all that you got. Right? And when I see an example of somebody like a Philip who, who wasn't overwhelmed by his circumstances but actually became the overwhelmer, so to speak, then I, I see something that I would like to participate in as well. And when I see others who traditionally had been rejected, who are now embraced into the body of Christ, that opens the door for me no matter what my story is. And we acknowledge that, Lord, this is powerful and I want it. And I want it in me. Thank you for this passage that speaks life. Thank you for your salvation that opens the door for us. Thank you that there are no barriers that would keep us from you. Remove our sin, prepare us to live with our holy God. Amen. Let's walk through this again. If you aren't sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to acknowledge it's not about what you become, but it's what He is and what He's done that opens the door for your salvation. And so, if that's if you're uncertain about that, let's take care of that today, okay? Find someone you trust, or if you come forward, there'll be someone here to pray with you, but just don't leave this without a certainty in your heart that you have entered into relationship with Christ, okay? Secondly, 
what transpired in Samaria was a, in a sense an outbreak of the Holy Spirit through Philip in powerful ways that you know we say man I'd like to participate in that but then when the apostles came down and laid their hands on people there was transformation or the effect of the spirit was in a dynamic way that modeled what had happened in Acts 2 and so again it's like you want it or not you know that's it, the door is open is what I'm saying and so again it's an opportunity and I would encourage you let's pray let's see the transformation of life that's available Father I thank you for this I thank you that you open the door I pray that you'll convince each one of the favor that you hold for them pray that you'll give them an awareness of what your desire is for a relationship and how you have reached out so they may encounter you with a confidence knowing your transformation. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. I ask that you'd gift them with spirit is the supernatural. Be exalted and lifted up, our Lord, we pray.